you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Friday, November 3rd, 2023. The Feast of St. Hubert. He was born around the year 656, and as the eldest son of the Frankish Duke, he was raised in nobility, and he was later sent to the Neustrian court of Theoderic III at Paris, where he was invested with the dignity of a count of the palace. Now, I have no idea what that means because we don't really have monarchies anymore, but I presume that that was a very important position. Now, Hubert married Florbion, a daughter of Dogobert, Count of Louvain, and a tragedy struck when his wife died and giving birth to their son, Florbert. He was devastated by her death, and he withdrew from the court and retreated into the forest. Now, one good Friday morning, while hunting in the forest, Hubert had a profound vision. He saw a crucifix floating between the antlers of a stag, And he heard a voice urging him to turn to the Lord. Now, it's interesting because this image, I believe, is the image that they have on the Jägermeister bottle, which is a a brand of alcohol, which is kind of funny to see that kind of image be put on alcohol. I don't have any experience with that. There you go, folks. (laughs) Uh, Who (laughs) renounced his honors and gave up his birthright. He sought spiritual guidance from Lambert, a bishop, who then became his mentor. He encouraged Hubert to live amongst the people and the forest creatures in Ardennes. Now, he studied for the priesthood. He was eventually ordained and became one of the chief associates of the bishop. He actively evangelized the pagan peoples and the many peoples who lived in the forest, gaining their trust through outdoorsmanship skills. Well, this shows us how, you know, it's okay to be a man. You can actually hunt You can go hiking, you can go camping in the woods, and still be a good Catholic. In fact, it can draw people to the faith even. At Lambert's request, Hubert made a pilgrimage to Rome in 708, and during his absence, Bishop Lambert was assassinated, and this was revealed to the Pope in a vision, and he was then, he made Hubert the successor and made him bishop. During his Episcopal reign, he gave all of his revenue to the poor, and he diligently practiced fasting and prayer. He became well known for his eloquence from the pulpit and translated his predecessor's work into the common language. He died peacefully in the place called Fura, 30 miles outside of Liege, in around 728. His feast day celebrated today, and he's venerated throughout the Middle Ages as the patron saint of archers, dogs, forest workers, hunters, mathematicians, metal workers, and the city of Liege. He, Herbert is honored among sports hunters as the originator of ethical hunting behaviors. He is revered for his teachings on humane and respectful hunting, ensuring the well-being of animals and their young ones. The legacy of ethical hunting principles is still taught in hunter educational courses today. So what do we ask for on the Feast of St. Hubert? Well, we ask him to give us a spirit of masculinity, that he make all men like unto him, that he give us the skill and ability to take care of ourselves and our loved ones and 
for care and respect for God's creation. St. Hubert, pray Pray for us. us. Uh, Joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Hey, good morning, Adrian. Here I am in the control room, Mike. Uh, So if you're watching us on our live stream, you might be wondering, what is he doing in there? Taylor, poor Taylor is sick. So please keep him in your prayers today. But here I am, jumping around, doing my thing here. Speaking of sick, man, my throat is on fire right now. Wow. I am like... And right now, the same so, blaze, pray for us. There you go. Same blaze, pray for us. Cause I'm right at the moment. The just Mike, I'm like, geez, we're going to, we're going to power through today. So if you would say a prayer for me, I would be very grateful and we will get through today with, uh, with in a slower pace. So that way I can take breaths as we go <laughs> through this. So the coming up in this, Oh, before I forget, this is very, very important. This Sunday is daylight saving time ends. And so set your clocks back oh. one hour before you go to bed on Sunday night or Saturday night. Before you go to bed on Saturday night to wake up on Sunday, set your clocks back one hour, which means, what does that mean we get an extra hour of sleep or an hour less of sleep? Uh, I think this is the one where we get less sleep, right? No, no, no. I don't no, know. No, no, no. In the summer, you get less sleep. This one, you get more sleep. Right. Correct us if we're wrong. Let us know. You're setting the hour. You're setting. This is why I don't try to do math on air. Daylight savings stuff is an hour backwards. Therefore, you get one more hour of sleep. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. You're getting one hour of extra sleep. You're welcome. Um, I did this for you. You're welcome. Unless you hate daylight savings, in which case Rudy did it. (laughs) 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 At 15 past the hour, uh, we're going to be talking about. Does Ron DeSantis wear high heels? That's an interesting story. Plus, there is some news out on the pornography area of the media. Very concerning. We're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Joseph Julian Gonzalez is on to talk about his breaking research on Our Lady of Guadalupe. Some things that you may have never heard before. And I was going through his book, and I was very intrigued by some of the things that he learned that I have not heard from anyone else. It was very interesting. So we're going to talk about that at 30 past the hour. In the next hour, Dave Palmer with Back to the Father will be joining us. We're going to be talking about indulgences. That'll be a great conversation, especially uh, on the heels of so-called Reformation Day. Uh, It would be a good conversation to go through. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to be praying for the holy souls in purgatory. We're going to be praying for your intentions, for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all of those who we promise to pray for, for whatever it is that you have going on this weekend, and for my grandfather. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. O Lord, who art ever merciful and bounteous with thy gifts, look down upon the suffering souls in purgatory. Remember not their offenses and negligences, but be mindful of thy loving mercy, which is from all eternity. Cleanse them of their sins and fulfill their ardent desires, that they may be made worthy to behold thee face to face in thy glory. May they soon be united with thee and hear those blessed words which will come and call them to their heavenly home. Come, blessed of my Father, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Eternal Father, I offer you the most precious body, blood of thy divine Son, Jesus, and union with the masses said throughout the world today. For all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, those in my own home, and within my family. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And here are some of your breaking news and headlines this morning. Catholic News Agency reports Brooklyn Bishop is appalled over a music video shot in a Catholic church and will investigate. Bishop Brennan of Brooklyn is appalled by a controversial music video filmed inside the historic Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church. The video displays the artist, in quotes, I mean, that's a very liberal description of this person, dancing provocatively on the church's altar with profane adornments. Scenes depict men fighting over her, leading to their deaths and coffins placed within the church. The diocese claims the parish failed to adhere to filming policies and prompted an investigation. The church, a long-standing home to Lithuanian Catholics, received prominent figures in the past, including Lithuanian presidents and bishops. The scandal involving the sacrilegious use of the church, disregarding both diocesan rules and the church's historical significance. Bishop Brennan is set to investigate why the parish permitted the controversial video to be recorded in the first place. Thanks be to God. Moving on, there is power in a name. American Orinthological Society is renaming over 70 species of birds to correct so-called historic bias. Now, the American Orinthological Society plans to remain, rename 70 to 80 bird species in the name of equity and inclusion, citing associations with the past that are considered exclusionary. This move is part of a broader trend in left-leaning efforts to eliminate historical references. In 2020, the AOS renamed McGowan's Longspur, sparking controversy around colonialism and racism. The AOS aims to rename over 260 bird species with people's names, preserving scientific names. The initiative extends to other aspects like renaming historic sites in response to perceived derogatory terms. This trend reflects a push for historical revisionism and sensitivity to contemporary ideologies, prompting debate and resistance. I, for one, a birder, I'm not going to be using these new names. And uh, finally, DoorDash warns customers that their order will take longer if they don't tip. DoorDash has introduced a pop-up warning for customers who had a $0 tip, cautioning that orders with no tip may lead to longer delivery times due to Dasher's preferences. While DoorDash argues it intended to enhance the experience, some find the policy absurd. Dashers who are independent contractors can accept or reject orders based on their perceived value, and tipping is encouraged to show appreciation. DoorDash shifted its tipping policy in 2019 to pay drivers a base rate plus the entire tip. Critics argue that such policies may not always ensure fair compensation for drivers, and some regions are implementing minimum wage requirements for delivery app drivers. Now, if you enjoyed those stories, and I'm sure that you did. Please leave a tip. Go ahead. I'm going to turn around the iPad here, and uh, I'm not going to look. So there you go. Now, those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Skip. The <laughs> gospel of the day comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Now, let's begin with verse um, 3 here. I think it's very interesting. And Jesus answered, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, 
is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now, the thing that's interesting about our Lord responding in this way is the fact that the Pharisees and the lawyers did not actually verbalize anything. Our Lord read their minds and knew that is what he was going, they wanted to know. Because the Pharisees and lawyers were watching him as a man came before him with the dropsy. And our Lord is going to heal him. And he read their mind and knew what they wanted. Mystically, Gregory says, the sick of the dropsy is healed in the Pharisees' presence. For by the bodily infirmity of the one is expressed the mental disease that is avarice and covetousness. So this is something that we have to recognize. Now he gives us a cure for it. He says avarice and covetousness then are very similar to the dropsy. And as this dire disease is is best remedied by abstaining from drinking, so the remedy for unlawful desire is mortification, abstinence, and continence. So there's your answer. If you're struggling with sin, mortification, abstinence, and continence are the cures. Now, here he talks about the Sabbath. He says, you Jews, you hasten on the Sabbath to pull an ox or an ass out of the pit into which he has fallen. Consulting not the good of the animal, but your own avarice. How much more ought one to deliver a man who is much better than a beast? He's saying here, you as the Jews are pulling these animals out of the ditch, but not because you out of charity, but because of avarice, because you don't want to lose your money. You don't want to lose the things that of, of wealth. But instead, we should have charity on the Sabbath. We should do works of charity. We should take care of those who are human instead of having this hardness of heart. Now, lastly, I want to talk about this. Although our Lord knew, he knew that they were going to murmur to themselves, that they were going to say that he is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath. He healed the man anyway, and he permitted their malice and obstinacy to gather force so that the cross ordained for him by God might be prepared for the salvation of men. Caring not, says the Alphacat, for the offenses given to the Pharisees. For when a great good is the result, we must not care if the foolish are offended. Let me repeat that again. For when a great good is the result, we must not care if the foolish are offended. Human respect, it's a great temptation. Let's not fall into it. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time right after this. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you very soon. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, we should not blame people for whatever bad things they may sometimes do. We should not judge them for their faults. We should be kind and merciful. Well, of course we should be kind and merciful. However, it is not merciful to say that we should not blame them for the sins they commit. As G.K. Chesterton says, blame is actually a compliment. It is a compliment because it is an appeal to a man's soul. When we call a man a coward, we are, in so doing, asking him how he can be a coward when he could be a hero. When we rebuke a man for being a sinner, we imply that he has the potential of being a saint. Want more than a minute? 
visit our website, chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. Despite the fact that my throat is on fire, it is still good to be here. Praise be to God. It is still good to be here nonetheless. It's always good to be on Catholic Radio. Now, there are a lot of stories that were jumping out to me this morning as I was going through the docket and one of these stories was rather amusing to me that it was that it was making headlines and the headline was is DeSantis wearing lifts shoe experts say probably and I'm thinking shoe experts they now they get uh is there an expert in everything? Is yeah, there's a shoe expert. Uh what was her name? She was the Filipino uh woman who had like a million shoes. I have no idea. Uh if you know who it is, let us know. Yeah, there so I'm I'm thinking, okay, so if I do anything, people are gonna be like, um, we're gonna get an expert to come and analyze what you're doing. And I'm like, geez, dude, that's crazy. But the article was actually kind of interesting because of what it kind of reveals about human nature. So it says here, one of the consistent trends in electoral politics is the preference for taller presidential candidates. American presidents on average stand about two inches taller than the average American man who measures at five, nine. I didn't know that. I thought the average American man was five, 10. That means I'm above average, dude. I thought the average was 5'8". Five, 5'8". Eight. Five, eight. I guess I'm a short guy. Apparently. I think 5'8 is the, uh, the world average. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. So I feel okay. You're perfectly average worldwide. <laughs> Great. I am one inch above average. Praise be to God. I'm happy to hear it. Recent presidents have been even taller, with each president since Jimmy Carter, who was 5'9 and a half, being 5'11 and a half or taller. It's been nearly... 130 years since a U.S. president was elected who was shorter than the average American man. This preference for taller leaders can be attributed to human tendencies to associate larger size with maturity, leadership, and attractiveness. Larger stature is often seen as a sign of authority and capability, leading to its value in politics. As a result, political candidates frequently aim to appear taller. Now, this is interesting because what we see this in the Bible. Saul was elected as the king, right? Why? Because of his stature, because he was large. He was great in battle. That was kind of why it was jaw-dropping for David to defeat Goliath. That's why Goliath had so much influence, because he was large. He was a big man. We just kind of have this disposition that someone who is large in stature must be magnanimous of soul. We just have this kind of correlation 
And it may not be necessarily true, but it's simply part of our nature. We just associate this. Someone who seems larger than life. And I think that's a very interesting thing because especially with the advent of photography and video, we start to see you can actually judge a man by his appearances when they were electing president. You're not worried of maybe just radio voices. It may be just the printed text. You're actually seeing them stand side by side with one another. It's a very interesting thing, especially considering Cornelius Alapidae would talk a lot about the physiognomy of a person. And we talk about this too. It's a, it could become a meme where people would do uh, the line test. It's like, oh, if you're um, standing up straight, they'll draw a line through you and see, are you, if there's two people in a photo and they'll draw a line through both of y'all, who is leaning towards who? The person who's leaning the most toward the other person is the person that is subservient to the other person. It's kind of the meme. Whether or not it's true is a different question, but that's kind of the the joke or the meme. But the idea here is that our physiognomy matters. The way we carry ourselves matters. The way we dress matters. The way we stand matters. Uh, with our not having our head tilted up too high because that could seem arrogant. Or not having our heads too low because that can seem subservient, weak. We want to have our necks up straight when our backs up straight all these kind of things that associate with our physiognomy we don't be leaning on objects which i have a habit of doing uh, because leaning on objects considers to be laziness we don't want to walk too fast because that seems to be intemperate we also don't want to walk too slow because that can symbolize slothfulness all these aspects may seem like a joke to most people it may seem like not a big deal to most people it may seem to be just pseudoscience to most people, but psychologically, we may not objectively notice these things, but in fact, subconsciously, we recognize them and we make judgments based on them. And many times those are accurate. So apparently it is rumored that Governor DeSantis is actually 5'9", though he's saying he's 5'11", and that he's wearing high heels or boots with, with, with platforms in the boots to be taller. Because Donald Trump is six foot three. Now, this is interesting because I mean I wear cowboy boots quite often because one I like them and they're easier to just throw on, and two because they do give me a little bit of a height boost. And I make that joke all the time. People will ask how tall I am, and I'm like five ten, but with my boots I'm almost six feet. Um, and I'll make that joke, but DeSantis kind of butchered his. His situation where he was asked about his boots and he did not play it off well at all. He was like, why are we talking about my height? We should be talking about the policies. And it's like, dude, you're trying to um, present yourself in a certain way in the public and you have to you have to take ownership of your public image. It's very, very important. You cannot win the populace if you cannot present yourself in the public sphere in a way that is attractive. Is that the right thing? Well, I mean, I may, it might be a better world if we all judge people based off of their writings and their policies, but that's simply just not reality. So it is very concerning. And it's also concerning because if it's true, nobody likes a liar. And obviously everybody in politics lies, but to be caught in a frivolous lie like this is 
really hurtful for his campaign because we don't like to be lied to and we don't like to get to catch people in lies, especially things that are so mundane. Is he actually wearing them? I don't know. He's denying it. His his campaign is denying it. The quote unquote shoe experts are saying that he is wearing it. I mean, it's good. It's an, it should be enough for him to just wear regular boots, and that gives him enough of a boost of inches. I don't know why he would need to also put a additional heel lift inside of his boots, but there you go. So that's the story, and that's why I think it's important. That's why I think that this is something that we should keep our minds on. In fact, I actually gave a talk not too long ago about the topic of um, the our comportment, living a sublime life in a vulgar world, and I sent that out to our email list. Uh, so if you want to get that talk, then check out our email list. I talk all about how we carry ourselves and these type of topics so if you like to see that, I recommend doing that. And just to wrap this conversation up about uh, wrapping it up with scripture, Ecclesiasticus 19.27 says, The attire of the body and the laughter of the teeth in the gait of the man shows what he is. So it comes even from Holy Scripture talking about what we wear, how we laugh, the way we walk, all shows who we are. And we should be judged based off of it. So there we go. Let's move on to this story. A think tank releases roadmap for states to protect kids from porn. The American Principles Project has published a policy brief titled How States Can Protect Kids from Online Pornography. The AP policy director and the APP's senior advisor for liberty, civil liberty and legal policy have put this together. The brief outlines a strategy for states to safeguard minors from the pervasive online pornography industry. They're pointing to the groups like Louisiana, Utah, Virginia, Mississippi, Arkansas, Montana, Texas, North Carolina, which passed age verification bills. The problem with the age verification bills, though, and I'm not saying that because of this problem, we shouldn't do it. I'm saying we should do it anyway, but we need to be smarter about this because even though it is blocking pornography in the state, it's not actually doing that much to prevent people from accessing it because the porn sites are not, as long as they're not based in your state, then people can, can access it through international websites, through search engines, and through social media, through VPNs. So it has not been as effective as we would like it to be. This doesn't mean we should not pass these laws. Instead, that means we need to be more clever about how these laws work. We need to figure out, which I'm glad there's a think tank trying to figure out the best way to do this. So we have to figure out another way. One thing that people are presenting is a Utah bill that's talking about required filters on tablets, smartphones, and other devices that block pornography, and you have to deactivate it. My concern about that is I put pornography blockers on my computer, but then I have to deactivate them all the time because the pornography blockers will block normal websites, 
it, it'll have, especially conservative websites, it'll detect it as pornography for some reason, and it won't let you access it. So I have to disable it and then go in it. And it's like, why do I even have it on to begin with, right? And so I end up just leaving it off, and that's just simply how it is because these things are not designed in the best way. So that needs to be looked at as well. Now, 83% of Americans have been polled and they actually support age verification laws. So this is a very positive thing. We should use this as an, as a sign to go forward with more laws, not less. We need more laws to try to protect our children from these abusive technologies. So let's try to get rid of it. In fact, a lot of these laws have already had an impact having Pornhub cease operations in Mississippi, Utah, and Virginia. So hopefully we'll see more of that as time goes by. Now, lastly, in the last couple seconds we have here, the AI in the classroom is forcing some teachers to reintroduce pencils. And two ways are looking at this. There's a positive and a negative. The positive is they're forcing kids to get rid of technology in the classroom because people are cheating using AI. The bad news is I was talking to one of my professors and he was talking about how at universities, he's not assigning papers anymore because people are just getting ChatGPT to write the papers for them. So they're moving towards doing in-class papers. The problem with that is you don't learn how to do research in in-class papers. So some pros and cons, glad we're getting technology out of the classroom, but our writing skills are going to go way, way down. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Which of these is the most difficult for you to objectively believe? Jonah lived in a whale? Moses heard God's voice in a bush? Peter's authoritative declarations would be backed by heaven? Or that Daniel survived the flames of fire? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the results. Most difficult was Jonah, then Daniel, then Moses. The easiest was Peter receiving authority to grant forgiveness. Secondly, the early church was tough. You see, that authority granted to Peter could put one out of the church due to sin, and that same authority was installed to bring one back into the church through personal confession. We understand that reconciliation with the church is inseparable from reconciliation with God. And thirdly, our Bibles are filled with promises, but this promise was to Peter, the apostles, and the generational successors of Peter known as the Catholic bishops. So here's an idea. Take a drive down your street, look up at a Catholic church, and just know this for a fact. That priest inside that church was ordained straight down through the lineage of St. Peter. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. The Loop reports administration policy would push abortions on migrant girls. A group of Republican senators confronted the Biden administration over a potential policy that would use taxpayer money to fund abortions among unaccompanied minors at the southern border. 
The rule blatantly violates prohibitions on the use of federal funds to facilitate abortions and should be immediately withdrawn, the senators wrote. And from Catholic News Agency, New Orleans Archdiocese is set to close 10% of parishes and merge others. The Archdiocese of New Orleans has announced the difficult and painful decision to consolidate 11 parish communities, permanently close seven churches, and consolidate three territories in the coming months to ensure sustainability and vitality. Archbishop Gregory Amon made the announcement in October 29th, and it was read at every Mass at all parishes in the Archdiocese last weekend. This consolidation will plan to close 10% of the Archdiocese's 1,100 uh, sorry, uh, 111 parishes and its largest restructuring plan since the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in 2005 when the Archdiocese merged 40 parishes and closed 27 of its churches. Those are all of your headline news this morning, but thank you for listening to Catholic Drive Time and may God bless all of your holy efforts today. Back to you, Adrian. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Joining us right now is Joseph Julian Gonzalez. He is an acclaimed composer whose music has graced the grand stages of Carnegie Hall and the Sydney Opera House. Uh, But today we're not here to talk about his musical brilliance. No, instead we're here to explore a groundbreaking journey that he has undertaken with his co-author and lovely wife, Monique Gonzalez. A journey that dives deep into history, spirituality, and a profound revelation. I was blown away by this book. I have not been able to finish it yet. But I've gone through a few of the chapters and it's like it reads almost like a mystery novel because he sets it up with these questions. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. And I was kind of blown away. And I have a great devotion toward Lady Guadalupe. And I was learning things that I had never heard before. Uh, So good morning to you, Mr. Gonzalez. Good morning, Adrian. How are you doing? Praise be to God. I'm good. It's good to be here. Um, it's good to have you on. Now, Mr. Gonzalez, this was a very interesting, interesting book, and I want to start from the beginning. So, the initially, when I read this, I was going through, and I was just taken away by this idea of going back to the Aztec language and learning what the things were happening at that time and looking at the poetry that hap- uh, that you were uh, sharing in the book. So let's start at the beginning. How did you get started on this project? Well, as you said, I'm a composer. <clears throat> and in the early 1990s, I was inspired to set Aztec poetry to music. So I had to do a lot of research. Um, so I, I was living in downtown L.A. I would go to the L.A. Public Library and I uncovered this one book called the Cantares Mexicanos, uh, Songs of the Aztecs, written by a gentleman named John Beerhorst. And uh, it contains 90 of the 180 known Aztec song poems that were collected by the Franciscan, Franciscan friars a few decades after the uh, the fall of the Aztec Empire in 1521. Uh, when I opened up that book and started doing a lot of studying, I, I looked at this first poem called the Cuica Pecayo, which is called The Origin of the Songs. And I was shocked because the narrative in there sounds almost identical to the Guadalupe narrative. It's essentially about a singer who is looking for flowers so he can gather them in his tilma so he can show them to the lords and princes. So, Anybody who's familiar with the Guadalupe narrative will 
notice the parallels uh, there. And it really did hurt my faith because I, I got into all this, this critical scholarship, you know, by secular scholars. And they were saying, well, obviously what's going on here is this, these Aztec song poems are the source material for a fabricated Guadalupe story. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is really startling. And I'm, I'm Mesoamerican. I'm Mesoamerican. I'm Mexican American. And my, my grandma's name is Guadalupe. And I went to Our Lady of Guadalupe Elementary School. So I was really shocked to hear this. Anyway, it hurt my faith terribly at that time until I met my wife. She read the same, in 2009, you know, many years later, she read the same poem and she was shocked and to hear about all these Aztec flower songs that mirror and in a way, uh, you know, seem like source material for a fabricated narrative. Anyway, but uh, we started a 14-year odyssey where we said, we're going to get to the bottom of this. And we started going to libraries. We, we, we actually went to Mesoamerican conferences. We met, we talked to various different people in, in different uh, subjects that you would never think would apply to the Guadalupe narrative. And after a while, we, we came to the conclusion that the Guadalupe narrative and everything surrounding Guadalupe couldn't possibly have been made up. And we came up with an alternate theory. And it's basically that for 3,000 years, God was preparing the people of Mesoamerica, that this earlier song poems is actually evangelical preparation, and it only points in one direction, the Christian conversion, the millions of conversions that happened 10 years after the apparition of Guadalupe in 1531. Wow, uh, that was absolutely, absolutely stunning. And when I was reading this, initially, I was thinking, okay, here's what I think. And because I haven't, okay. I hadn't read the ending of it yet. I was like, okay, I'm reading this. I'm thinking, hmm, maybe this is like if someone just read the Old Testament, not knowing it was old, older than, um, than the, the New Testament and read it and was like, huh. It seems like this Jesus character was made up to fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament. That seems like what's happening here. And it seems to me that the you're reading this this poem and I was thinking it sounds like it's a prophecy about the coming of Our Lady Guadalupe and Juan Diego. Um, is that kind of the, what you're saying here? What is that the correct interpretation? What are you thinking here? Yeah, many, many people have made that comparison that it, it, it kind of acts as an Old Testament in that it gives the context to understanding the New Testament. Uh, in fact, we're not only saying this, there's, there was a priest who just wrote a dissertation two years ago. Uh, he's, I believe he's from the Oaxaca area. He speaks fluent Nahuatl, which is the language that we're talking here, the song, the, the language of the so-called Aztecs. He's, he made the same conclusion that we made that is essentially you can't really understand the Guadalupe narrative and everything that happened unless you understand number one, Flower World, which we could talk about, and the Aztec song poems, because that takes us into an area called Nawa philosophy. Almost like the a parallel could be the Greek philosophy, which really set the Greeks for conversion because they had certain understandings that were able to create a bridge to Christianity. The same thing happened here. There's a lot of parallels going on. But if I could just give you a quick example of how it bridges over. In the earlier song poem, the singer 
is trying to find flowers and flowers are a metaphor for truth. So he's trying to call down flowers from heaven so we could put them in his tilma so we can share them with the people of earth, which is ultimate truth, which connects to ultimate beauty in this place called the flower world paradise. So at, but however, at the end of the poem, he laments because he actually doesn't go to this flower, uh, flower world paradise. He actually doesn't find the flowers. And the reason why is because he's un, unworthy, because he's afflicted, he's wretched, he has sin. And at the end of the poem, it says, only the God of far and near in Nahuatl, it's in Tlokanawake, can make one worthy to enter the flower world paradise. Well, now, when you come into the Guadalupe narrative, it actually, it starts with the theme of worthiness. Because the first words that come out of Juan Diego's mouth when he comes to Tepeyac Hill and he sees these wondrous sights and beautiful music is he says, where am I? Am I worthy to be here? He's questioning whether he could be in this flower world paradise. And he even says, could I be in the place that our ancient ancestors spoke of, the flower world paradise, or in the place of heaven? Now, why would he say that? Number one, why would he talk about worthiness if he himself didn't know about connecting flower world paradise to worthiness? And also, why would he say that this is the place that his ancient ancestors spoke of? There's a, there's definitely a connection to these two. So I'm just giving you one example of the way in which these ancient flower songs, this ancient knowledge flows into the Guadalupe narrative in a very beautiful way and a convincing way that we believe and we make the case in our book was a, 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 a one of the main reasons why 9 million indigenous converted. You know, that is absolutely amazing. And uh, one aspect of the book that I really liked is how well sourced it was. Uh, massive bibliography. It's like, it's sourced like an academic book, but reads at a popular level. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break. When I come back, I want to go more into the question of how did this convert the nations? That's always kind of bothered me about how that worked. So we'll talk about that when we get back. More Catholic Drive Time. We'll see you very soon. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I want a religion that is not so dogmatic? Well, G.K. Chesterton says a religion that is not dogmatic is not a religion. A religion means something that commits a man to some doctrine about the universe. Anyone who believes anything is dogmatic. In fact, Chesterton says a teacher who is not dogmatic is not teaching anything. And if you think about it, a doctor who's not dogmatic is not who you want prescribing medicine or performing surgery. An auto mechanic who's not dogmatic is not going to be able to fix your carburetor. We want professionals to have specific training, but specific training means embracing very specific ideas. And yet we want a religion that is not dogmatic, as if standing before God is less important than repairing our car. Want more than a minute? Visit Chesterton.org. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to do some Bible reading. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Bible regularly? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be here with you today. It's always good to be here on Catholic Radio. Actually, very apropos to our conversation we're airing across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. And we're talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, Joseph Julian Gonzalez, an acclaimed composer. Uh, but more importantly to our conversation, he is the author of a book on Our Lady of Guadalupe published by Sophia Institute Press. Uh, so check that out from Sophia Institute Press, uh, Guadalupe in the Flower World Prophecy. Now, Mr. Gonzalez, before I went to a break, you were talking about an aspect of how this kind of prophecy existed and how it could be something that draws the Aztec people into the Catholic faith. And you touched on something that I have always wondered. I have never heard about the image of Our Lady Guadalupe doing miraculous things like we hear, like you think about Our Lady of Fatima uh, healing uh, hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people, miracle of the sun, dancing in the sky. It's the, the miracle that happened was to the bishop. Very few people actually saw the miracle. And so you have this really beautiful image. You show the Aztec people and they're all like, wow, that's a pretty image. I'm going to become Catholic as kind of the way the story sounds. And it's always kind of bothered me. I'm like, that doesn't, like, if I saw that, I don't think I would convert because of seeing it. Um, so what say you, Mr. Gonzalez? How did the image of Our Lady Guadalupe in the story of Juan Diego convert the nation? Well, you, you bring up so many different points. Uh, I, I can go in so many different di- directions with this. Um, Number one, uh, let's just talk about the conversions. Uh, when you look at the primary source that talks about how the conversions happen, that's a book that was written by Fray Toribio de Buenaventura Motolonia. He actually describes Indians uh, or in the indigenous coming from far away, hundreds of miles away, and coming to the closest mission uh, that were set up around Mexico City in order to and begging to be baptized now there's only Tepeyac is actually only mentioned once in all these conversion stories uh you know as i said they they happen in faraway places and it leads you to believe that they were not coming from the direction of Tepeyac so it doesn't seem as if Many of them saw the image of Tepic. I, I hate to be kind of scandalous in this, but the reason why we have to deal with this issue is because s- secular scholars use that to beat us believers over the head. They say, well, if it was the image that converted everybody, then why don't we have more evidence of millions of people going to the, to the shrine of Tepic first? Well, in our case, we, we, we believe that we resolve that historical anomaly. What we say is that 
the Guadalupe story would have turned into what they call a flower song, which would have been memorized. One song would have been created and it would have gone to village to village and be memorized. And it would have spread kind of like a computer meme. It would have actually been duplicated. This was their tradition. It's well documented. We're not making any of this up. It could have gone out hundreds and thousands of miles. And the people from these villages, the indigenous, would have heard it sung and performed with the, with two different types of drums, a wewet and a teponatsli, perhaps even with dancers. So the reason why this is important is because things were told in an emotional way. They were, they were told through artistic mediums. So we're saying that when the people heard this and because so many things were being fulfilled, by the by we we outline in our book through prefigurement metaphor symbolism and typology because there's so many similarities they would have realized that something supernatural was happening that god was speaking directly to them and was fulfilling things within their own culture that nobody could have known about and it would have converted them on the spot and then they would have came in droves to the nearest uh, priests to be baptized. And boy, they, they, the, the counts are incredible the way they, um, how they sought after baptism. They wanted the flower world paradise. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, that was amazing. That's a great, concise way of putting it. And if uh, people want a more detailed account, well, they're going to have to check out the book, uh, Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. But let's go to that title right there, the Flower mm-hmm. World Prophecy. You've mentioned it a number of times in our conversation, um, but we have yet to ask about what on earth are we talking about when we say flower world. That just seems um, when I hear flower world, I'm thinking uh, 1980s hippie generation, not the uh, 1500, 1400s Aztec civilization. Uh, so what is the flower world? Flower world is a new field of study. It's only actually been around for the last 20, 30 years in the arenas of archaeology, anthropology, and linguists. I'll try to explain this quickly. A linguist named Jane Hill started collecting indigenous song poems uh, from people of the Nawa, the Hopi, the Paiute. And she noticed that so many of them talk about this floral paradise afterlife. Uh, you know, they talk, you know, that talk about uh, these iridescent flowers and these beautiful, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, beautiful landscape. And she coined this place flower world. And what and what is starting to happen in these fields is that people are the, the scholars are beginning to reframe the way they think about Mesoamerican history around this hypothesis. And there's been so many discoveries that have happened just in the last few years. For example, they've discovered shafts under the famous pyramids outside of Mexico City, Teotihuacan, where underneath the underneath these pyramids, they find it, it goes into a four-petaled flower type configuration. And that is talking about this thing called the Axis Mundi, where if you go to the flower, you're making a connection to divine beauty and truth. So flower world starts from the uh, middle formative Olmec period around 1500 BC and took, er- it took, took everything up to the, um, the, 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 when the Aztecs met the Spanish. So that, that's a thumbnail of flower world. 
And it relates to the Guadalupe story because at the beginning I said, Juan Diego says, could I be in in Xochitlalpan, in Tonacatlalpan, the flower world paradise? Well, he is making a direct reference to the flower song poems, which use the same phrase, which also then takes us back to the cradle of civilization because it's the same concepts that are leading us back to history. So we just basically took this information and said, why isn't this God implanting concepts that led to the conversion? So we kind of hit it from a different direction and went to the encounter itself in 1531. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That is. Yeah, see, I haven't got that far into the book yet. So I am. That is very, very interesting Wow, there's about a dozen different questions that I could bring up, but I guess I'll just have to read the book. Uh, the here's another thing that is very interesting is you talk about a unique flower, but it's only one one flower that is present on the tilma that has great significance. Tell me about this. Oh boy. Okay, so <laughs> I have to talk about this thing. I have to talk about this thing called the Axis Mundi. Now, the Axis Mundi concept is basically when you have the four cardinal directions of the world, north, south, east, and west. This represents the earthly plane or the known universe. However, from the center point going up, it takes us to another dimension, which would be the heaven. It also goes down to the underworld, but it takes us up to the flower world paradise. So the Axis Mundi is a three-dimensional model of a multi dimensional reality. Okay, try to think of it that in that way. Now, however, what happened is that the four directions start were represented as a four-petaled flower. So the pen, the center point of the flower would be the connection to divine beauty, ultimate beauty that can be found in the flower world paradise. So it's very much kind of like Plato's uh forms where where when you and even Benedict XVI has written about this, where when you see earthly beauty, it can wound you. And in that way, it can actually make you contemplate of divine beauty because you know that perfect beauty exists somewhere. Well, this is the same concept of the four-petaled flower, and this is really what you see all throughout Mesoamerica. It was ubiquitous. There was four-petaled flowers found in Guatemala during the Mayan period, during the Olmec period, it's all over the place. And of course, this relates to flowers being the only truth on earth, why the singer needs to gather the flowers in his tilma. Ultimately, Juan Diego finds the flowers that are the connection to divine truth. And of course, on the tilma, there is one four-petaled flower in the image of Guadalupe, and that is over her womb. Mm. So the way that we try to explain it is that when it's on a flat surface, as you can see, it's a two-dimensional image. However, if you can see it as a three-dimensional image, the center point is leading you to eternity. The center point of the flower over her womb is leading you into ultimate divine truth, which of course is Jesus Christ. So that's, that's until you finally get to the end of the book, and we know that it's, it's, it's a lot to get through. But that is really the way it culminates. And and we believe that that's how the, the indigenous would have seen it. Yeah, that is uh, I'm you. Every time you speak, you're blowing me away because I, I, I 
thought that I knew a lot about Our Lady Guadalupe, and I've always talked about the tilma, the symbols in the tilma, uh, but that particular element of it, that this is the first time I've ever heard that before, and it's absolutely stunning. Now, we have just about a minute left in our conversation, uh, so instead of asking another great question um, about this amazing uh, research that you've done, uh, tell me about where people can connect with you, where can people find out more information, and on a kind of a side note, can people actually listen to the mass that you composed? Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, well, there, uh, there's a SoundCloud uh, that I have. Uh, I, I'm, we're creating a website, uh, GuadalupeFlowerWorldProphecy.com. I'll post the uh, a recording. We don't have a really good recording of it, unfortunately. Maybe we can remedy that one day. Um, but uh, And I would direct people to that website, for more information, we just we're just uh, putting it together right now. So over the weeks, we'll we'll work on it. But the book can be found at uh, Sophia Institute Press. It's also on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere else. Uh, you could find us on Facebook and Twitter. Joseph Julian Gonzalez. Uh, my wife's name is Monique Gon- Valadez Gonzalez. And um, but uh, the book will be released November twenty first. It's in pre orders right now. Um, and, uh, the, the, the piece that I wrote, uh, it was just performed in Mazatlan, Mexico, uh, three weeks ago. So it still gets performed, uh, quite a bit. And, uh, maybe it'll come to a city near you. I don't know. Well, but, uh, God. amen. Yeah, well, so. we're out of time, but thank you very much for your time, Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, Guadalupe and the Flower World Prophecy. Check it out at Sophia Institute Press. God bless you. God love you, sir. And that's going to do it. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, Dave Palmer is going to be on with us talking about indulgences, all this and more on Catholic Drive Time. We'll see you very soon. Uh, Started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing mass, and it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue. You're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Ladies and gentlemen, 
gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to study a section of the catechism. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Catechism of the Catholic Church? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. I also want to dialogue with all the young people. Catholics are committed to building a society which is truly tolerant and inclusive. Let us treat others with the same passion and compassion with which we want to be treated. Come and see what good things God is waiting for you at catholicscomehome.com. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Good morning to you. Praise be to God. We just wrapped up an awesome conversation with Joseph Julian Gonzalez talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, a absolutely jaw-dropping book. Honestly, I learned so much, and I haven't even finished it. I only got through maybe the first few chapters. And I was blown away. So if you or someone you know has a devotion to Our Lady Guadalupe, it might be a good Christmas gift, honestly. And normally I don't push books this hard for people who have it, but um, I was I was just blown away. I just learned so many things. It is a pretty massive book, though. It's um, a hefty, hefty boy. But um, it is definitely worth it if someone is interested in learning more about our Lady Guadalupe and how it relates to the indigenous culture there. It was very, very telling. I was very impressed by that interview. Um, despite the fact that I was leading the interview, not because of it. Uh, but joining us right now is Dave Palmer. He is the back to the father. Good morning to you, Dave. I get the impression you liked that book. And, uh, what makes you think that, Dave? I don't know. It's, it's hard to follow that interview because you're talking about, so, I mean, I got a lot of pressure on me right now. Well, the good news is you also will be talking about a really good book as well, a book that uh, I very much <laughs> enjoy. Uh, the Summa Theologiae, I would say, is a is a pretty darn good book as well. I would certainly agree. And I know you get on me because I don't read a whole lot of other books by Aquinas, but this one book is so big and it takes like a lifetime to study. And so I haven't gotten into a lot of his other writings, but uh, trying to become an expert on this one word. But it is definitely one of the most significant Christian books ever written. Very good. Very good. Now, Dave, today, I think it's very apropos that you propose the conversation on indulgences. That makes a lot of sense considering... We just passed what is some people might call Reformation Day. Um, I would call it Revolution Day. It would be a more accurate term. And now, Dave, the indulgences. So where does St. Thomas talk about indulgences in his works? Yeah, that's an interesting question because it comes in what they call the supplement of the Summa. The supplement's a little bit of a bummer because it's after he finishes writing officially and then his scribe goes back and takes writings from St. Thomas when he was in his 20s to kind of finish the Summa. 
because uh, most people know that St. Thomas Aquinas stopped writing the Summa because he had a vision of Jesus, and then he said, everything that I've written has been like straw, because compared to the vision of the Lord, nothing he wrote was really of much significance. So this comes in the section of the sacraments. In fact, very early on after he quit writing, because he stopped writing when he was writing about the sacrament of confession or reconciliation. So this comes in that section on the, the sacrament of reconciliation. Now, I think a lot of the supplementary section is taken from his commentaries on the sentences from Pierre Lombard and kind of just adapted to fit in the format of the Summa. Um, so it's interesting. So it's not typically it's not just fabricated by the scribes. It's actually Aquinas's work himself kind of fitted into the format of the Summa. Now, indulgences. What did St. Thomas have to say about indulgences? I love the way that he kind of lays out his arguments of putting up the objections first. And these objections that he presents here, I think, personally, they're better than the objections you hear from Protestants nowadays against indulgences. Uh, So let's start there, Dave. Yeah, he goes a lot of different directions with it. But one of the things is I think you get out of learning about the indulgences of the church is that he compares it to the court of man and the court of love God. And so he says, basically, the church has the authority given to it to Peter by Jesus to have authority basically on earth as as God has in heaven. And so you learn about that authority. And by the way, I'm getting a lot of feedback. And so <laughs> I'm not sure if y'all can stop that or not. Um, uh, but but yeah, it, it, it's clear that he um, is aware. that we could possibly experience uh, here on earth. But then all you really got to do is something that the Pope prescribes, visit a church, go on a pilgrimage, say some prayers, uh, you know, um, not have attachments to sin. And all of a sudden, all of the temporal punishment is removed. uh, That would have been purgatory. So it almost seems too good to be true. But he does address that in the Summa. Right. And that is actually a very interesting question because the it would seem as though indulgences kind of bypasses the principle of justice, right? Because our Lord is demanding justice for our temporal punishment due to sin and purgatory, but indulgences seem to bypass that, and so it seems to bypass God's justice. Uh, What say you, Dave Palmer? Yeah, yeah, it seems like that. But the other thing that you got to understand is that this is, I think a lot of people say, well, the Pope just grants an indulgence and then I have my temporal punishment removed that would have been, you know, you know, in purgatory. But the important thing to understand is what is called the treasury of graces. And this is where the merits and the satisfaction that was kind of like stored up a super abundance of merits through Jesus Christ principally, the Blessed Mother and the saints in previous years, in previous you know centuries of the church, 
will um, then be made available to us who need it, okay? So it's almost like a bank account where you have all kinds of money and then we're allowed to draw from that bank account because of the merits of the saints who came before us, the martyrs. And so a better understanding of indulgences also helps us to understand the saints and their sacrifices because their overabundance actually benefited us. So it actually makes sense, you know? So if you're trying to weigh justice uh, versus mercy, you can see that this, these indulgences don't just come out of nowhere. The grace actually was earned by Jesus and other, and the saints. Yeah, that makes sense. And you think about, um, trying to balance. I think I just did a show on this too, was on the justice and the mercy of God that you have to recognize that they are both in effect and not simply, uh, one or the other. We have both the justice and the mercy of God and God can deal out his mercy in whatever manner in which he chooses kind of like um what people will ask saint thomas will ask um is it was it necessary that our lord die on the cross and what would aquinas say to that dave well he would say that it, it wasn't absolutely necessary there are other ways that he could have saved mankind but he would say it was the most fitting way it was the uh the best way it was the way that he showed his love for us the most and so he likes to use the word fitting a lot you know it was the most fitting the most appropriate way for him to do it but uh, absolute necessity that would mean that god could only have done could only have saved us one way and aquinas wouldn't wouldn't go down that road yeah, that makes sense. I think the, it's, it's, uh, it's important to keep that in mind because our Lord could have saved us in any number of ways because he was the offended party. And so he can choose to forgive in any manner in which he does, he wishes. And he simply was the most fitting way. And so we can actually use that as analogy for the situation in purgatory. It's most fitting that you endure the fiery pits of purgatory, but our Lord in his mercy can forgive in any manner in which he chooses, uh, namely indulgences is one manner of doing that. Now, let's talk about the aspect of indulgences and how it works, uh, practically speaking. Um, how does that happen? Well, I guess from a practical standpoint, it's it's a, a gift that is made available through uh, the church, primarily the Pope, but he can give, according to Aquinas, he can give the privilege of indulgences to bishops. And there's one question even in the Summa about whether like deacons can do it. And because a bishop, I guess it then, and I'm not sure about now, doesn't have to be, it didn't have to be a priest. He said even sometimes in some cases, deacons can uh, administer them. But so they're, they're granted under certain circumstances. You have to kind of do something. And Thomas uh, addresses also the fact whether something temporal to be done, uh, like I think he might have even been alluding to uh, the Crusades because he talks about uh, quelling the church's enemies who disturb her peace, okay? Or if you visit a church or you do something temporally, uh, and then the church has the, the, the benefit and the ability to grant indulgences, which remove the temporal punishment due to sin. So the eternal punishment has to be removed through uh, confession, sacramental confession. You have to have contrition. You have to have absolution. But then uh, the temporal punishment, which would otherwise have to be removed in purgatory, can be removed because of this gift that's given to us from the, the church. But the uh, the conditions, of course, you have to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, and uh, typically you have to receive confession within an, uh, an allotted amount of time, and then also not be um, 
um, have any attachment to sin. And I think that's the most challenging part. Yeah. You know, I kind of, um, like eating too many cookies, to be honest. Um, my sister made muffins the other day and I had to resist the urge to want to eat all the muffins in one sitting. And, um, that is attachment I have, which means I suppose it's very difficult for me to receive a plenary indulgence though I guess we could still receive partial indulgences. Now, it is interesting you mentioned the Crusades, right? In Article 3, St. Thomas very specifically says, Thus, Pope Innocent IV granted an indulgence of 10 days to all who prayed for the King of France. In like manner, sometimes the same indulgence is granted to those who preach a crusade as to those who take part in it. And so it's very clear that Aquinas is saying, yeah, you can, in fact, do temporal acts and receive indulgences because that's freely given by the Holy Father in whichever way he sees fit. Now, what are some other aspects of things that people may think, you know, I never even thought to ask this question that you're going to be covering today on Back to the Father. Uh, one of them is he asks about whether or not the, the one who grants the indulgences uh, can be in a state of mortal sin. <clears throat> and uh, the answer to that is yes, because just like a a, a it's obviously it's not ideal, but a priest who is in a state of mortal sin can still confect the Eucharist, and so it's really the the power of God and not the power of the the instrumental cause. So if if a pope was in a state of uh, mortal sin, he could still grant an indulgence, but someone can't receive an indulgence if they're in a state of mortal sin because, of course, one of the conditions for receiving indulgence is that you have already received sacramental absolution and confession, and so that the only thing that the, that the indulgence can do is remove the temporal. Um, uh, you know, punishment due to the sin. So that he does go into that, and you know, who, who can grant the indulgence, who can't, and then, uh, of course, w- what it is. And again, I, I think the, the the big takeaway here is as we you know just finished this this week of All Saints and All Souls Day, and people are like, you know, how can I? I don't know what to do. I pray for the souls in purgatory. What can I do? How can I, uh, you, you know, e- eliminate my own time in purgatory? And I, and I think that. We've got to clear up the confusion because this is a blessing. This is a gift that the church is is giving to us. It does seem to be too good to be true, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't take advantage of it, you know? And I I think too few of us are, including myself. Right, for sure, for sure. And I think that's very important, this idea of making sure we get to confession because, right, like you said, you can't go receive an indulgence if you are in a state of moral sin. So I have a friend who said that you should go to confession every other week so that way you are perpetually in a state necessary to receive an indulgence. If you go to confession every other week, you're almost always going to be in a situation where you're ready to receive an indulgence. So I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. So there you go, folks. Now, Dave, last tech as we have with you, where can people connect and watch Back to the Father today? Okay, it's going to be on all the social media sites, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter of the Guadalupe Radio Network. It begins at 1 o'clock Central Time uh, and uh, just just join us. Uh, we we try to make it light. We make it fun. It's a very important topic. It's timely. It's as far as what we've been celebrating and commemorating this week. And uh, join us. And we want your feedback and questions and comments. So it'll be one o'clock Central Time today. Awesome. Praise be to God. God bless you, Dave. And we'll see you very soon. All right. Thanks, Adrian. Appreciate it. Bye bye. And remember to give your indulgence this week during this octave to the Holy Souls in Purgatory. That'd be an excellent practice to do this week. 
But we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, the Fear and Trembling Game Show, that number, 877-757-9424. Call now, 877-757-9424. Let me give you that number again, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Many committed Christians hold to this axiom. If it's in the Bible, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, here you go. 1 Timothy 2 states the following about women as related to church life. No braiding the hair, no gold jewelry, no pearls. Just learn in silence and do not teach. Does your pastor comply with these biblical instructions? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, an unpleasant fact. Many self-proclaimed Bible-only churches, sadly, will pick and choose what parts of the Bible are implemented in the life of the church. Secondly, Catholic catechism. Be especially attentive to, quote, the content and unity of the whole scripture. And thirdly, a tough comeback. In order to understand the sacred author's intention, we must take into account culture, audience, and the literary genre. So if your Bible-only church does not strictly obey those instructions, then tell me the reason why. Well, we know... You know, 80% of your church is handled by women. So with those instructions in force, many women will leave your church, maybe even the pastor's wife. Ouch. I was raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with a spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to another round of Fear and Trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That's number to call to be part of our game show. Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could be a winner. And today's the day we're going to draw a name from the coffee cup of Divine Providence. I have that right here in front of me. You can... Uh, wow. Look at that ASMR. Uh, the, this, <laughs> I will be pulling a name today from the coffee cup of Divine Providence. So you're going to want to make sure that your name is in the cup. And let me tell you how the game is played. I have three Catholic trivia questions in front of me. The trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. And he's going to give me an answer. It's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. Every right answer goes into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. This week, you're going to be winning a Rosary of Charity and two mm. pocket prayer books. Now, you might be wondering, what is a Rosary of Charity? I've never heard of that one before. I've never heard of that devotion. Uh, it's actually the name that our generous sponsor gave to the Rosary. It's a beautiful Rosary. I believe it's made of red cord. And they're giving away this as well as two pocket prayer books. Now, our sponsor, which we have to absolutely thank so much this week, is Oremo Studio. And they help to increase devotion in the family and love of our Catholic faith. Thanks be to God. They do this through the aid of traditional Catholic devotional products for the home. Go ahead, Adrian. 
I was looking at the the image of the um, the rosary, and you'll like this, Rudy. Oremus.studio has the image of the seven sorrows as a centerpiece. Ooh, I do like that. It's very nice. Now take a look at your house, you know, dear listener. Take a look around, maybe your office even, and 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 just analyze it. Is it a place? That gives honor and glory to God. Is it a place that uh, that allows you to reflect on the the goodness, the beauty of our Lord? If not, you should check out Oremos.studio. They design all of their products. They create prototypes. They oversee manufacturing for the ones they don't fabricate, like the prayer books. And their products are designed of fine materials to withstand the test of time. In fact, they might be even an heirloom for your kids. They're going to inspire all kinds of uh, devotion, and they're very beautiful. Currently, they offer handmade rosaries, rosary kits, English to Latin prayer books, and homemade 100% beeswax candles for the uh, three days of darkness. Mm. And uh, they will soon offer Spanish and Latin pocket prayer books. That's a very, very important thing to have. And DIY home altar statue niche kits, which the family can build together and for the kids to make on their own. Visit their website, oremus.studio. I'm going to spell it out to you. O-R-E-M-U-S dot studio. There's no dot com. There's no nothing. It's oremus.studio. Welcome to the 21st century. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's weird to not see the dot coms. The dot yeah. coms are going away. Uh, <laughs> I guess the dot com bubble uh, bursted, and now we're at dot studio. Um, yeah, oremus. It's uh, Latin for pray. So, or let us pray. Actually, it's it's the to translate it directly. Oremus. It's let us pray, and so it's ora, o r e m u s, oremus. So very good. Thank you very much to oremus dot studio for generously sponsoring our game show this week. We're very grateful. And joining us right now is well, we got a lot of callers on the line. I'm so sorry for everybody who's not going to have a chance to win this week's prize, uh, but. Joining us right now is Armando. Good morning to you, Armando. Good morning. Uh, praise be to God. Armando, where are you calling in from? From Houston. Houston, Houston Texas. Texas. H-Town, hold it down. How do you feel about the uh, the Houston Astros doing so well? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a sore subject, yeah. Sore subject, yeah. I guess I'm happy for the Rangers fans, but um, yeah, they did well. They did well. Well, I, I know the, um, the other... Houston teams are doing great. I think I don't know. Actually, I have no clue if the Houston teams no, are doing. Not. <laughs> well, at least somebody in Texas won. At least, so, yeah, exactly. At least somebody in Texas won. We didn't have a, I don't know Wisconsin win or something like that. I don't know. Oh, yeah, right. Ranger fans are a lot like uh, Cowboy fans, so we have to deal with it for another year. You know the the Rangers are the only baseball team that did not have a Pride Night. In the United States, the only baseball team in the MLB who did not have a pride night, and they won. Divine favor, maybe? I don't know. Well, now now I'm a fan. (laughs) All right. Let's jump into the game. Uh, Where are you off to this morning, Armando? Oh, I'm at work today. Oh, he's at work already. All right. All right, Armando. Let's jump in to the game. Rudy, are you ready to play? I am so ready. I'm looking at these questions, and I got to say... Two out of three are easy. Hmm. One out of three could be difficult. All right. Let's start. Question number one for you, Rudy. Who is the patron saint of students? The patron saint of students. That is going to be St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. 
Saint Elizabeth and Seaton, you say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. There we go. All right, Armando. The question on the board is: Who is the patron saint of students? Rudy seems to think that it is Saint Elizabeth and Seaton. What say you, Armando? Is he right or is he wrong? Fifteen seconds on the clock. Well, that's a tough question. I think Rudy usually gives a uh, when it's the right answer, he gives a little bit more confusing a confusing answer. So I'm going to go with Rudy is incorrect. All right, Maybe. let's see. Survey says. Mm, survey says that is that's correct. correct. Uh, I love the reasoning there. I love the reasoning. He's like, huh, when Rudy gives a wrong answer, he creates this elaborate story that sounds really, really good. Whenever he gives the right answer, he just like says the answer. And it's like not that good. I guess I'm going to have to start throwing different. I don't know. I'm going to have to change it up. They, I don't know. They figured you out, Rudy. Dang. You've been figured out. Uh, so he first it was looking left and looking right. Now we have got something else going on here. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for question number two, Armando? Yes. All right. Let's jump into question number two, Rudy. Oh, wait. I forgot to mention what the correct answer was. The correct answer for that last question was actually my boy, Tommy A. Tommy A. St. Thomas Aquinas himself. St. Thomas Aquinas is the patron saint of students. So if you are a student and are going to school, well, pray to St. Thomas Aquinas. He is your helper. All right. Now let's go to question number two. Question number two, Rudy. What city has the most Catholics of any in the world? Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, let's take a look here. I'm going to say, let me look to the right instead of the left this time. Look to the right. I'm going to say New York. New York is pretty populated. There's probably a lot of Catholics there. New York. <laughs> yeah. New York City is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I was thinking you were going to say Washington, D.C., but okay. All right. We're going to find out if you are correct. The question on the board is, what city has the most Catholics of any in the world? Oh, what say you, Armando? 15 seconds on the clock. He, Rudy says, it's New York City. What say you? Thanks, Rudy. That was pretty good. Um, considering the problem that New York City is having at this current time, I would say Rudy is not correct. Rudy is uh, not correct. All right. Well, are you let's sure? See. Are you sure? Survey says it is correct. <laughs> I can't fool this guy. You are correct. Armando, what, what do you do? Are you a private investigator or something? You just unfoolable. <laughs> I'm a, no, I'm a Houston fireman. There wow. you go, Houston fireman. Now, the correct answer, Rudy, is what? The correct answer is Mexico City. Believe it or not, Mexico it's the most populated city, city uh, the most populated Catholic city. So, yeah, there you go. Thanks wow. to our lady, foreshadowing. We might have kind of picked that question because of our conversation today. Oh, oh. interesting. Interesting. You know, I honestly would have thought it was like Brazil, a city in Brazil. Oh, that too. But Brazil. I guess Brazil probably has more Catholics like as a country and whereas Mexico right, City right. probably has more in the city itself, True. as my guess. True. Um, because Brazil is, I think, the one with the most. And I wonder if it's, in a side note, per capita, I bet it's Vatican City. 
I, I bet that's what it is. Yeah, like um, something tricky like that. Yeah. I should have said Vatican City. Yeah, because that would have oh, been well. yeah, that would have been tricky. Um, anyway, anyway, we'll go in to question number three before we're running out of time here. All right, Armando, you ready for question number three? Ready. Let's do it. Question number three for you, Rudy. Name the three wise men. The three wise men, my boys. Not the three blind mice. Oh. The three wise men. Oh, okay. Good. Thanks for clarifying that. No problem. My boys. The wise men gang. The wise men gang. As some would say. Gang gang. Caspar, <laughs> Melchior, and Balthazar. Balthazar. They came from the east. Mm. East side boys. They traveled far? They did. They, they, uh, these they came with gifts. Men? From Orient. All right, all right, let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> the it is not quite Christmas time or Advent time, so I won't sing the song. Not yet. Um, name the three wise men is the question. Fifteen seconds on the clock. Rudy says it's Caspar, Melkar, Melchior, Melchior, and Balthazar, or however you pronounce it. I don't know. Not but, von Balthazar, just Balthazar. Just Balthazar. All right. Uh, what say you, Armando? Is he right or is he wrong? Well, initially I thought Rudy said Casper, and I was like, "Oh, he's going to throw me off on this one." So, uh, <laughs> but, but but you repeated the answer, so I would say Rudy is correct. He is correct. Mm. All right, let's see. That is let's correct. Go. Now let's get uh, running out of time here. So let's get the drummer boy going. Drummer boy, and I have the uh, questions or the uh, names in here. Thank you, drummer boy. We're running out and of time. We're running out of time. Picking a name and. The winner is David. Let's oh, go. I'm so sorry, Armando. Your name was it's not great. drawn, but great to go, David. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are very grateful for you calling in today. I'm going to put you on hold here, uh, but God bless you. God love you. And have a blessed day. God bless. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you can join us in the after show, we'd be very grateful. Hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble. Uh, we'd love to interact with you directly. Your questions, comments, or concerns, whatever it is you want to talk about, leave a comment there. But if not, we'll see you back here Monday morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Martin DePores. This morning's Mass is being offered for all of our listeners on Guadalupe Radio Network, our online viewers, and for those here present. Sing praise to our Creator, O sons of Adam's race. 
God's children by adoption, baptized into his grace. Praise the Holy Trinity, undivided unity, Holy God, mighty God, God immortal be adored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who led St. Martin de Porres by the path of humility to heavenly glory, grant that we may so follow his radiant example in this life as to merit to be exalted with him in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, I speak the truth in Christ. I do not lie. My conscience joins with the Holy Spirit in bearing me witness that I have great sorrow and constant anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred according to the flesh. They are children of Israel. Theirs, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Theirs, the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is all, over all. God blessed forever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, Jerusalem. Glorify the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. Praise the Lord, Jerusalem. He has granted peace in your borders. With the best of wheat he fills you. He sends forth his command to the earth. Swiftly runs his word. Praise the Lord, Jerusalem. He has proclaimed his word to Jacob, 
his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. He has not done thus for any other nation. His ordinances he has not made known to them. Alleluia. Praise the Lord, Jerusalem. Alleluia. 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 My sheep hear my voice, says the Lord. I know them and they follow me. Alleluia. 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 The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. In front of him there was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus spoke to the scholars of the law and Pharisees in reply, asking, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. So he took the man, and after he had healed him, dismissed him. Then he said to them, Who among you, if your son or ox falls into a cistern, would not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? But they were unable to answer his question. The Gospel of the Lord. There's the two thoughts I'd like to share this morning. Today's first reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. We can't help but be moved by the level of passion that St. Paul has, not just in evangelization, that we know Paul is a fearless and tireless preacher of the word who's willing to preach about God to anyone and everyone, and that is certainly uh, commendable and amazing and what made Paul probably the greatest missionary in the history of the church. Today we also see Paul's ardent desire in his heart and his willingness even to sacrifice that those who would hear the message would be converted and come to the knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is and to be able to give their lives to Christ in the same fashion that Paul has. It's very striking when he says, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people. Uh, this is the level that Paul would like them to convert and to come to know Jesus. Well, sometimes for us today in the world that we live in, we can look at the world around us and at its disbelief with a sense of incredulity and say, I don't understand how people can't believe. Why don't they get it? How come they don't come? And there can almost be a little bit sometimes perhaps a hint of anger and frustration, which is natural and normal. Sometimes there can be maybe a little bit of a hint even of saying, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. But we also need to remember the primary disposition is this passion and love for people to say, what can I do more to pray for and to sacrifice for the conversion of people to come to know Jesus Christ? And this is the attitude that we see with St. Paul. 
In today's gospel, we see Jesus hearing the man suffering from dropsy on a Sabbath. Jesus knows that by the strict technical quality of the rules which they have, that this would seemingly put him in opposition to the Sabbath. There's a couple of things really which are going on. In the first place, by Jesus' power to heal, it is a clear sign or a one of the markers of Jesus' divinity. But also in the very fact that Jesus places himself above the Sabbath and as the interpreter of the law, it's also a clear indication of Jesus' claim to be divine. That Jesus is able to interpret the law because he's actually the giver of the law insofar as he is God and therefore he's the fulfillment of the law, he's the interpreter of the law, and he's able to explain the Sabbath is meant, meant not meant to be the Lord over man, but rather the Sabbath is a gift to man. When we think of Jesus' divine claim and the fact that Jesus Christ truly is God, we can also look at the world around us and when we see it kind of ravaged with violence and conflict and polarization and pulling it apart, we can also ask the question, what is it that Jesus then really came to do? clearly didn't come so that we were going to have this perfect peace on the earth that was not successful if that was the mission anyway. It's true Jesus came to be the healer. He is the divine physician, the divine healer who makes possible the gift of salvation. But as Pope Benedict XVI pointed out very beautifully and simply in his book Jesus of Nazareth, he said, you know, Jesus, he didn't come to erect a perfect political kingdom. He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came and what he brought with him is God himself. Jesus reveals to us perfectly who God is. And in doing that, that really is everything that we need. Because if we understand who God is through Jesus Christ, we also then can understand who we are and what our life is meant to be in relationship to God and how we are called to live. It's a free gift. People don't have to accept it. But the gift in and of itself is really everything. Because if we know who God is, we know then what our destiny in life is. We know what we are called to be and who we are called to be. And we know what our life should look like because we're made in his image and likeness, which means we're made to know him and to love him. This is our destiny in life, and this is what already begins here. And it's only, as Pope Benedict XVI points out, it's only because of our hardness of heart that that doesn't seem like it's enough. <laughs> and we say, God, why didn't you make this a better world? Why didn't you make it so we don't have all this conflict and violence? God has given us the greatest gift. He's given us the gift of himself. What more could we ask for? And in that gift, we find our salvation, we find our identity, we find the pathway toward heaven. And so my brothers and sisters, today as we go forward, let us ask God for the grace that we too would be filled with the same passion and zeal for souls as what St. Paul had to be willing to be real prayer warriors and people willing to offer sacrifice for the sake of others. And let us always be grateful for the gift which Jesus came to bring. He brings us the gift of salvation and he brings us the gift of God himself because that is who he is. And in knowing Jesus, 
We know who God is and we know who we are. We're made to love him, we're made to know him, and that is everything for us. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops, for their physical and spiritual well-being. We pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders that they would be inspired by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in their decisions to enact just laws that would safeguard and promote the dignity of human life at every phase. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our we pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and experience the healing touch of Jesus Christ. We pray to the Lord. We pray for our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us on Guadalupe Radio Network and online, for those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association, and for all those enrolled in our All Souls Novena. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. For a passion and zeal for evangelization and the conversion of souls, we pray to the Lord. And for the perseverance to strive with all our hearts to know and love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, we pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. For the faithful departed, that they may rest in peace through the mercy of God, we pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. For those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Most ancient of all mysteries, before your throne we lie. Have mercy now, most merciful, most holy Trinity. When heaven and earth were still unmade, when time was yet unknown, you in your radiant majesty did live and love alone. You were not born, there was no source from which your being flowed. There is no end which you can reach for you are simply God. Most ancient of all mysteries, before your throne we lie. Have mercy now and evermore, most holy Trinity. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. Most merciful God, who are pleased to create in blessed Martin de Porras the new man in your image, the old having passed away, graciously grant, we pray, that renewed like him, we may offer you the acceptable sacrifice of conciliation through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your heart. 
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for in the saints who consecrated themselves to Christ for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, it is right to celebrate the wonders of your providence by which you call human nature back to its original holiness and bring it to experience on this earth the gifts you promise in the new world to come. And so with all the angels and saints we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelli et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray by sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith Save us, Savior of the world for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life 
and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, 
I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Adoro te devote latens deitas, que subis figuris vere latitas. Tibi secor meum totum subjicit, Quia te contemplans totum deficit. Visus tactus gustus in te falitu. Set out to solo to talk ready to. Credo qui quid dehi filius. Nil hoc verbo veritatis verius. In cruce la tebat sola deitas. Ariglatet simu et humanitas. Ambo tamen credens adque confidens. Peto quod petivit latro penitens. Amen. Let us pray. By the power of this sacrament, Lord, we pray, lead us always in your love through the example of blessed Martin de Porres and bring to fulfillment the good work you have begun in us until the day of Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks. Hail, holy queen enthroned above, O Maria. Hail, mother of mercy and of love, O Maria. Triumph, all ye cherubim, Sing with us, ye seraphim. Heaven and earth resound the hymn. Salve, 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 Regina. Our life, our sweetness here below. O Maria. Our hope in sorrow in woe, O Maria. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle.
Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee, through the intercession and help of the Archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. 